0: The Blaze Radio Network.
1: On demand. Hello and welcome to ILTV's Zion News on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in today's newscast, President Trump gives the Palestinians a massive ultimatum. It looks like Delta Airlines is being sued for anti-Semitism. And we hope you like dogs because they're taking over Tel Aviv. I'm Natasha Kirchak here with the latest news in Israel. Another rocket has just been fired from Gaza into Israeli territory. The rocket has struck an empty field in southern Israel and no injuries or damage have been reported. But the army has just launched a counterattack against Hamas military targets in the Strip. The back and forth exchange of rocket fire and then IDF retaliation has been consistent for several weeks now. The attacks ramped up immediately following President Trump's bombshell recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital. And clearly they aren't fizzling out. Netanyahu has come under fire for failing to stop the rocket launches, and some have even gone so far as to call the prime minister weak in his response. But many officials agree that pushing too hard against Hamas could spark a war that neither side wants, and derail the ongoing Palestinian reconciliation efforts. Those negotiations are at a standstill currently, but Israel has a vested interest in seeing things play out without interference. Regardless, more rocket fire will only fuel tensions between Israel and Gaza and put more lives in harm's way. Well, President Trump's plans for Middle East peace have hit a snag, following Trump's bombshell decision to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. The Palestinians say they no longer see the United States as an impartial negotiator of peace, but now Trump has just dropped an ultimatum. He's threatening to cut all aid to the Palestinians unless they come back to the table. Right now, the United States sends $300 million a year in foreign aid to the Palestinians. PA President Mahmoud Abbas's government is critically dependent on that money, but despite this threat, the Palestinians say they refuse to be blackmailed by Trump's ultimatum. A senior Palestinian official has accused the president of sabotaging the peace process in the first place by removing Jerusalem from the, from the negotiating table. Furious that Trump, quote, now dares to blame the Palestinians for the consequences of his own irresponsible actions. America's ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley has echoed Trump's position and remains firm that the U.N. resolution denouncing Trump's Jerusalem announcement was detrimental to the peace process. I think the president um, has basically said that he doesn't want to give any additional funding um, or stop funding until the Palestinians are agreeing to come back to the negotiation table. And what we saw with the resolution um, was not helpful to the situation. We're trying to move for a peace process. But if that doesn't happen, the president's not going to continue to fund that situation. All right, now get this. A bombshell lawsuit has just been filed against Delta Airlines, accusing the airline of practicing anti-Jewish, anti-Hebrew and anti-Israeli behavior. These are disturbing allegations made worse by the fact that former and current Delta employees are the ones filing the lawsuit. The plaintiffs are accusing Delta management for pushing forward the attitude that Jews and Israelis, quote, cannot be trusted, are aggressive and inappropriate, and engage in what are deemed to be strange behaviors by conducting prayers on the flights, as well as their request for kosher meals. One former employee in the lawsuit says Delta actually fired her for being Jewish. The airline claims she was fired because she missed a flight while working as a flight attendant for Delta, but the woman says she had been approved for maternity leave at the time. Another plaintiff is accusing the company of suspending her without pay and revoking her travel privileges when she shared her travel companion pass with a friend who happened to be Jewish. The lawsuit accuses Delta of taking wrongful action against the employee because the recipient was Jewish. Delta has taken the defensive, claiming these allegations are false and that the company has zero tolerance for discrimination. But if these disturbing accounts are true, then that would certainly not seem to be the case. In October of 1997, Oregon became the first state to enact the Death with Dignity Act. This controversial act allows terminally ill people living in the state to end their lives by self-administering lethal medication that has been prescribed by their physicians. Now, an Israeli organization is trying to bring this act to Israel and joining us in the studio is the chairman of the Lilach Association to Live and Die with Dignity. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, so Bina, why does your organization want to bring this act to Israel?
2: We have heard, uh, here in Israel a law from uh, 2005 that uh, solved a part of the things, but not enough. Okay. Uh, for example, people that you can't uh, uh, know the, how much they will live, they are not in the law. Uh, there are uh, if you uh, uh, if you um, connect a terminal patient to the breathe machine, mm-hmm. you can't uh, take it off. And there mm-hmm. are many things that. Are not enough in mm-hmm. the law that we have. Our idol- ideology says that the the responsibility of life is in the hands of the person himself. Okay. He, because of that, we can't. Uh, uh, we we are not believing uh, euthanasia, for example, because that is not. The, the doctor do, does it. Not right, the- so the
1: idea is that a person would self-administer a lethal um, injection, but that would be prescribed by a physician, correct? Yeah. Okay, so, so I mean, it's interesting. You you guys are focusing on this because you want to take the power of death or the power of being able to control uh, one's death into the person's hands, right? Yeah. Um, how has the government responded to this push here?
2: Till now, they were... Two uh, times that uh, the, the law was coming to the Knesset, to the, okay. uh, to the Israeli uh, parliament, and it, doesn't, it didn't... Uh, it didn't pass. Well, I'm assuming one of the main concerns is that how, you know,
1: doctors don't always know how to really determine um, how long a person is going to live when they're terminally ill, correct?
2: There are illness that they can... Uh, say about it, but not in every, for example, ALS Mm -hmm. is a illness that uh, every person has on time, Uh, uh, a doctor can't say how much uh, time he has to live, and because of that, it isn't a terminal uh, ill, of course, but uh, it doesn't come into the law. All right. Well, Bina, thank you so
1: much for joining us and telling us about, um, you know, the work that your organization is doing. It's a controversial issue, so we're going to have to see how it plays out here.
2: Thank you. All
1: right. For the average Israeli citizen, the idea of just buying a plane ticket and flying into Syria, well, that pretty much sounds like a death wish. But that's exactly what Israeli journalist Jonathan Spire has just done. And that's not all. He even met twice with a top Syrian minister while he was there, all under the guise of traveling with a British passport. Given the fact that Syria sees Israel as one of its biggest enemies, a trip like that should have been a suicide mission. But Spire has lived to tell the tale of how he was able to get into Syria and remain in the country unharmed, which, according to him, is all thanks to the gross incompetence of Syrian authorities. Spire was actually able to interview Syrian ministers and access high-security areas by joining a propaganda trip. Ironically, Spire says that while fear of Israeli infiltration is a constant topic in Syria, everyone talked about it too much to realize that an infiltrator was sitting right next to them. Spire actually met not once but twice with the minister responsible for securing Syria's borders. Syrian President Bashar Assad has learned of those meetings and immediately fired the minister from his cabinet. Spire is well aware that he's lucky to be alive, but says journalists have a duty to take certain risks. This is actually his eighth or ninth trip to Syria. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu is set to visit India in less than two weeks, but that trip may be soured slightly because India has just called off a massive defense deal with Israel's military, a deal worth half a billion dollars. ILTV's Aaron Porras is here with the details on this story. So, Aaron, why did India cancel the deal?
3: There are actually a few reasons for that but chief among them seems to be the fact that India has been purchasing a lot of arms from Israel over the years and they've been flooding their market and they're afraid uh to overflood the market which they kind of already have thus removing all the value uh you know from from and their own economy and, from, and business right, away from Indian their own military tech
1: yeah. so so this doesn't have anything to do with politics you would say
3: uh, I don't believe it does. It doesn't seem to to be political in nature. Israel and India have been enjoying very close relationship over the last few years, and as you as you just acknowledged, Netanyahu himself in the coming weeks is supposed to go to, to India for a visit. So the Indian
1: that... Prime Minister was also here in Israel as exactly. so well. So, so will India be purchasing anything in the end?
3: Yes, they will be. Uh, they they have they have officially canceled that half a billion dollar deal, and so obviously uh, Israelis are not as happy with anything less, but uh, uh, I'll tell you more details about what they will be purchasing in my report right now. Rumors that the deal had fallen through began to swirl as early as last November, but now India's Ministry of Defense has finally confirmed it. The agreement originally committed India to purchasing $500 million worth of Spike anti-tank missiles from Israel's Rafael Military Defense Company, and the deal was to include some 8,000 missiles and over 300 launchers. But now, Indian officials say the purchase of so much Israeli tech would have disrupted the country's own weapons development programs. Relations between Israel and India have been warming up over the last few years, with Israeli weapons contracts often at the center of that friendship. The cancellation of this massive contract, however, is certainly raising a few eyebrows, with many wondering just how committed India really is to ties with Israel. India's defense ministry has confirmed that it will go ahead with a smaller purchase, amounting to $70 million of Israeli military technology. But needless to say, Netanyahu will have a lot to talk about when he meets with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi in just a few short
2: weeks.
1: Israel's education minister has just pitched a new plan to pump massive dollars into pre-Army programs. The initiative would boost high school students' enrollment in courses and activities that prepare them for enlisting in the IDF, but more specifically in combat units. Right now, thousands of Israeli high schoolers participate in some kind of army prep program. But Education Minister Naftali Bennett is seeking to pump $23 million worth of government funds into these programs in hopes of doubling enrollment. The idea would be a joint cooperation between the school systems and the defense ministry. It would also increase the number of schools that participate in Gadna Week, which is a week of actual army simulation that gives Israeli teens a taste of what to expect in the IDF. Several programs which help at-risk teens and Ethiopians successfully assimilate into the army will also benefit from this aid package. Bennett has announced this initiative with great enthusiasm, saying, In the 70th year of the state, service in the IDF is not only an ordinary civil obligation, but also a great privilege and a top national mission. Speaking of pre-Army programs, coming into the military is an obligation here in Israel, but it certainly isn't easy. Joining us now in the studio is Stav Gil, the head of a pre-military preparatory program that's on a mission to make sure every young Israeli is ready for a successful service. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me. All right,
1: so, so tell us a little bit about what your organization does.
4: Okay, so our organization is a unique program that would like to promote the leadership, the new leadership in Israel. And we would like to rebuild uh, the society in Israel. So, so
1: in the army um, in Israel, you have people coming from all different backgrounds, um, and many of them start out together in basic training, right? right. So there, there are a lot of kind of new realities that, that young soldiers are, are facing. Um, what are the challenges that, that many young people face when they go into the army that you're trying to deal with?
4: We're trying to deal with the diverse society of Israel, and trying to build bridges from uh, different backgrounds of uh, our, yes, from our uh, participants in the program.
1: So an example would be, um, I, let's say, uh, uh, soldiers of Ethiopian descent, of Arab descent, of Jewish descent. And how are you bridging those gaps?
4: Okay, so the, this kind of year make them moving from A position to the second position mm-hmm. by... Um, Dialogues by building uh, communications, uh, equalities and abilities by volunteering in uh, our society and get to know each other better. Interesting. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, how many uh, young people are involved in this program so far? H- how many years has it been running?
4: This is the second year okay. that we run. Uh, actually, in the next year, which we right now uh, choosing, we have unfortunately too much people. We have six hundred. Uh, Candidates and we would like to choose only the 42 matches.
1: So it's a competitive program to enter, essentially.
4: Unfortunately, yes, because we're talking about leadership, and uh, the program is very... it costs a lot of money, and we have mm-hmm. to invest it in the best way that we can. Well,
1: and I can imagine, you know, the training that these young people are receiving goes well beyond the military as well, because, you know... After, afterwards everybody goes to, to university and needs to find a job so do you focus on after the military also?
4: Also, definitely we would like to prepare them to the civil life in Israel mm-hmm. about being social and make the right choices and we want them to be in the most, in the highest places that we can uh, we, they can
1: get yes. yeah. mm-hmm. to understand their full potential alright, mm-hmm. beautiful, well Stav, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about this program thank you All right. Israeli police have confirmed what many already believe to be the case. In 2017, cell phone use while driving was the number one cause of car accidents in the country. That is a staggering number made even more tragic by the fact that 362 Israelis were killed on the road last year. Police say enforcement of cell phone related offenses such as texting or talking without a Bluetooth while operating a vehicle was boosted by over 50 percent last year. But regardless, these potentially avoidable deaths still numbered in the hundreds. Traffic police want to become even tougher on cell phone offenses in the future in an effort to deter the deadly trend. So just remember, sometimes traffic cops are only strict because they're trying to keep the roads safe. And the best way to avoid a ticket or worse is to simply leave your phone alone while you drive. We always joke that people are practically stumbling over major archeological finds here in the Holy Land. Well, now a group of Israeli first graders have just found possibly one of the craziest discoveries of all, a 10,000-year-old flint knife, which experts now believe is the earliest known evidence of human settlement in the region. The discovery was made as part of a classroom exercise, which brings the first graders outside all year to connect them to the land's historical and biblical roots. The discovery was made by students from the Bencio Netanyahu School, which 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 is located in the West Bank settlement of Balkan. Local councils have actually been running this program for two years now, and this isn't the only time kids have uncovered ancient history. In fact, students discovered mosaic pieces and coins dating back to the Talmudic era not too long ago. But this 10,000-year-old knife, or possibly a spear tip, is one of the most impressive finds in quite some time. That's because it confirms the earliest known presence of human life in the area, dating back to the Stone Age. Well, I think it goes without saying that these kids have definitely earned all A's for this assignment. Did you know that one of Tel Aviv's nicknames is Dog City? Well, you're about to find out why, and it's all through the story of one Irish immigrant and his furry friend. In Tel Aviv, you don't need to be a human to be a top employee. This is Mr. Jazz, and that's Harold. They're best friends, and they also happen to be co-workers at one of Israel's top companies, Clicktail.
3: This
5: is Mr. Jazz, the marketing consultant.
3: I love the way Mr. Jazz waddles down the hallway when he's going out with Harold.
1: Studies show that the offices that allow dogs have employees with significantly lower levels of stress.
5: We got Rocket a position as an intern, but unfortunately Mr. Jazz decided that Rocket wasn't up to the task and he has been let
1: go. Jazz was jealous that everyone liked Rocket more. Even though Mr. Jazz tends to fall asleep on the job, it doesn't seem to have an impact on his reputation.
4: Mr. Jazz is amazing. After Jazz, we started to see even other dogs coming with other employees and it uh, became uh, a company standard in a way.
1: Furry employees are pretty much a norm here in Tel Aviv. The city has the most dogs per capita in the world. To put that into perspective, one in every 17 people has a canine. Harold and Mr. Jazz immigrated to Tel Aviv all the way from Ireland.
5: I was uh, driving along and I saw this, um, what I thought at the time was a fox, but he was uh, abandoned. He had like bruising and broken bone and stuff. So he was in bad shape. So I picked him up and brought him to my vet. um, And once he recovered, uh, I took him home. He also saved my life as well a bit because he's like, you know, he's such an integral part of me at this stage.
1: Well, after immigrating to new country together, it's no surprise that Harold and Mr. Jazz are such a power couple.
5: Mr. Jazz is a great way to meet people, aren't you, Mr. Jazz? Mr. Jazz is like an extension of myself, and he's uh, he really is part of my family. Come on, Jazz.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, more than 250,000 lives are lost annually because of severe medical errors. Many of these errors are caused by the lack of data regarding what happened during the emergency time between when a person was injured and then taken to the hospital. Joining us now in the studio are the co-founders of Aorta, a new company that wants to tackle this issue. Hagi Erez and Ortargo, Thank you for joining us. I almost I almost lost you on the name there. Uh-huh. All right, so so what does your company do? What is a problem that you guys are tackling?
6: So the problem we are tackling is uh, exactly what you said. Uh, you know, uh, medical errors is the third leading cause of death in the states. More than two hundred fifty people die each year in the U.S. Yeah. alone uh, for medical errors. And the, the, the interesting thing is that 80% of uh, medical errors are caused by, uh, by miscommunication during the transfer of the patient. You know, from the field to the, hospital, right. to, the to the ambulance, from the ambulance to the ER. Well, I mean, it's
1: obviously a very hectic situation to be in in the first place, so that's understandable. But you guys yeah, have found so, a solution to kind of tackle yes. this issue, right? What is the solution?
6: So, uh, now... What what happens is that the the ambulance arrives to the hospital and then uh, transfer the patient to the ear physician yeah. and then stay in the parking lot for 15 minutes 20 minutes to fill the medical report, which is mandatory. It must be filled. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is a waste of time. the The report is useless. The information is uh, missing or inaccurate. You no, know, they already forgot everything.
1: So so how does the device work?
6: Okay, the caregiver uh, arrives to the scene, he puts a bracelet, a smart bracelet on the patient's hand, the bracelet starts tracking the vital signs of the injured, you know, blood pressure, uh, um, heat, all the necessary necessary stuff. In parallel, he uh, starts reporting about the treatment that he's uh, doing, hands-free. Amazing. He's talking, he's talking, uh, the voice uh, uh, um, goes through... The mobile application of the caregiver to our cloud. In the cloud, the voice is translated to text, and, and when the patient the, the arrives to the hospital, yeah, the, exactly, exactly. How
1: did you guys come up with this idea?
4: Uh, the idea started uh, from the uh, my college, FECA um, I was uh, studied there uh, medical engineering mm. and. Uh, There was an accelerator program there, and then I met Hagi there as a mentor. He chose me after a few presentations, Uh, and then we got up together and we started to and we wanted to uh, get this idea as a reality. And uh, we even got a grant for the Israeli Authority Innovation Center. Amazing. Uh, uh, Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, obviously this is a device that could save hundreds of thousands of lives, so hopefully it's going to work out and you're going to have it functioning soon. I know that you're still looking for investors. And for those who are interested in learning more, please email Hagi. His email is eres at gmail.com. There we go. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Last month, we talked about Jerry Seinfeld's trip back to the Holy Land, this time with his family. Well, he's here, and it looks like he took a break from his comedy tour to make a very interesting stop. ILTV's Emmanuel Kadosh has the details. Thanks, Natasha. Well, earlier this week, TV legend
0: and comedian Jerry Seinfeld paused his Israeli comedy tour and checked out an Israeli Air Force base for a quick visit. Of course, you can't make a stop like that without grabbing a photo or two, right? Check out the rest of the details in my report. Last month, headlines broke the news that legendary comedian Jerry Seinfeld would be gracing Israeli stages for two shows at the Menorah Mivtachim Arena right here in the Holy Land. Well, looks like Seinfeld scheduled himself a little break from the tour. The master of his domain has just toured the Ramon Air Force Base with Squadron 119. According to the IDF spokesperson unit, Seinfeld even got some one-on-one time with a few soldiers and heard about the personal story of a combat navigator serving in the squadron. Of course, no celeb could say no to a quick photo op on base, which the IDF has just shared on Twitter. This wasn't Seinfeld's first time in the Holy Land, but it was for his family that joined on tour, which is why they went full tourist and stopped in Jerusalem, the Dead Sea, and Masada along the way. Seinfeld was even spotted grabbing falafel at one of Tel Aviv's top hummus joints. He may be one of the funniest, most well-known celebs in the biz, but hey, he knows how to eat like an Israeli.
1: And now for our Hebrew word of the day, well, we just introduced you to Mr. Jazz, the cutest employee you've ever seen. So today we're talking about Palvati, which is how you say furry in Hebrew. Typically, I'm 100% for all things Pelvati or furry. Whether it be an especially Pelvati dog like Mr. Jazz, a Pelvati kitten, or a super cuddly and super Pelvati panda, I'm all for it. After all, everything is better when it's more Pelvati. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast. Tonight is expected to be partly cloudy with a chance of rain and a rise in temperatures. The low will be 53 or 12 degrees Celsius. Tomorrow should be partly cloudy but with a drop in temperatures and the high will be around 63 or 70 degrees Celsius.